right, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you all today once again. Uh, if you have your Bible handy, or if you don't have it handy, run and get it real quick. We're going to look at some scripture this morning. Uh, I want to begin in Galatians chapter 2. We're going to read two or three verses there. And I want to finish up this on part two, what I started last week on uh, a, a little short series, only two parts to it, called Never Give an Inch. Never Give an Inch. And the thrust of the message is this that you and I have a gospel that has been given to us through the Apostle Paul by revelation. You and I are seeing grace. We're seeing a lot of uh, truth today. And we should not ever back up or quit on that message. It's an important message that our world needs to hear. And God has entrusted you with the ability and the anointing and the power to deliver this message. So we want to make sure that we never give an inch. We never back up on it whatsoever. And sometimes the backing up comes because there's a little bit of confusion about uh, what the gospel really is. Let me, let me give you a real quick example. In James chapter 2 and verse 24, James said that a man is justified by works and not faith alone. That doesn't sound very gracey, does it? A man is justified by works and not faith alone. And then we read, where Paul said in Romans chapter 3 and verse 28, Paul concludes that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So which is it? Is it what James said that, without, that faith without works is dead? Or is it what Paul says that we're justified by faith apart from the works of the law? Now you can easily see how an Armenian is going to grab what James said and those grace guys over here are going to grab what, what Paul said. So what is it? And you can see how all of a sudden now there becomes this uh, gospel debate on what the gospel is really all about. Let, let, me, let me see if I can clear some of that up and help you by reading Galatians chapter 2 and uh, let me start with verse 8. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, For he, speaking about Jesus, Galatians chapter 2, verse 8, For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumciser, the Jews, also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. Aha! And when James, verse 9, and Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they would go to the Jews. Wow, so we've got two groups of guys going to two different groups of people, right? They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was always eager to do. Now, here's a, here's a key. When you read your Bible, you need to keep in mind the audience that it's being written to. Everything in the Bible is, I hate to disappoint you, everything in the Bible was not written to you. Now, it could have been written for you. If I, if I write a letter to Billy Bob and Susie Mae reads it, she may gain some good out of that letter I wrote to Billy Bob, but I'm saying things to Billy Bob doesn't apply to Susie. Right? So it's, it might be for her, but it wasn't to her. 
You, you need to understand something. And if you're never going to give an inch on this message, you, this, this is important. Peter, James, and John wrote to the Jews. That's why in almost every letter of Peter, James, and John, you see some mixture. Paul wrote strictly to Gentiles. There is no mixture in Paul's writing. It's grace plus nothing. But we read in John, for example, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Paul says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing our trust passes against us. So why would we have to confess something that has not been imputed toward us? Once again, you, have, you get confused because of who wrote what to who. And I'm saying this because there's been a lack of understanding in the body of Christ how to rightly divide the word. The cross is one division. That's what was written before the cross and what's written after the cross. Two different animals, apples and oranges. And the same applies to Peter, James, and John and, and, and Paul. So I, I want to finish this week. I started last week. And I want to give you four reasons why you and I who are the recipients of the message of Paul. And you know what? It really doesn't take up that much to, to really know what his message is. <laughs> Let me see if I can do this for you real quick. Um, I want to show you how much of the Bible we're really talking about you've got to get proficient with, right? All right, here's, here's where Romans starts. This is the writing of Paul. And here is where the writing of Paul actually ends with... Um, uh, here we go with Philemon. This, this is how much of the Bible actually Paul wrote. Can you get it, get a good picture of that? See that? That's that's the that in my Bible. This you know your Bible might be a little different, but my Bible goes from page nine seventy eight to page ten fifty two. Nine seventy eight. Let's see. That would be twenty two and fifty two. That's about 74 pages that Paul wrote. This, this is your doctrine right here. This, this is your theology. This is, this is what you believe. Now my Bible, my particular Bible, has uh, 1,098 pages. Now think about this. My Bible has 1,098 pages. Less than 100 of those pages, less than 10%, Paul wrote. Less than 10% were actually written to you. And even then you need to be careful about what he wrote to the Galatians and the Corinthians and the Romans. You need to take it in context, right? What I'm trying to tell you is the gospel that you and I have that we don't back up an inch from only takes about 75 pages out of, out of 1,100 So you need to understand what, why Peter, James, and John were sent to the Jews and what they said to the Jews and what Paul says to us as Gentiles. Our message is the message of grace. Now, I'm always asked this question. Why do you call it radical grace? Why, why do you call it pure grace? Isn't grace just grace? Doesn't the Bible just speak of grace? Yeah, it really does. There, the Bible never calls grace radical, pure, or just Vanilla grace, right? The reason I call it radical grace is because the grace has been perverted and diminished. <clears throat> it has been redefined by the evangelical community that has, 
had the sway over the last several generations. You ask a good Baptist, do you believe in grace? And, and absolutely. I mean, how many grace Baptist churches are there? Ask a charismatic, do you believe in grace? Of course we believe in grace. They all believe in grace. But at the same time, they will tell you, as you listen to them, that for God to release his grace, that you need to first align yourself with him by your obedience, your trust, your faith, and your confession. So when someone comes along like me and teaches grace apart from that, or a grace that requires nothing, a grace that has an eye-opening effect to what you already have been given, that enlightens you to who you already are, the evangelical church looks at me and says, that's cheap grace. And what they mean by cheap grace is you didn't have to earn it, deserve it, merit it, or rise up to a certain level for God to release it. Look, Paul's grace is radical. It's so contrary to what the evangelical church teaches, they cannot deal with it, and so it has to become heresy. Radical grace is simply grace with no strings attached. It's simply grace with no hoops to jump through. It's the pure grace that Paul brought in those 75 pages to the Gentile church. And man, there's a massive return back to that grace. There's a massive move today around the globe, a grassroots level move of pure grace. And it's very radical to religion, but they're going to get it. They're going to catch it because people are leaving church by droves. And as that grace collides with religion or collides with anything in its path, and brother, it has collided with the Western church. All that the Western church has palmed off on people as gospel that is not gospel but is what Paul called another gospel. Presenting another church, it's going to bow its knee to the gospel that Paul proclaimed. So it's imperative right now, we're, we're in a position, it's imperative that you and I don't give an inch on this message. That we stand strong with it. And I gave you four reasons last week why, why we need to. Number one is because you've been called to do it. Why, I don't know. But it's your ministry. You have a ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18. I don't care if you're an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, Sunday school teacher, deacon, elder, or a nobody. <clears throat> there is, there's no such thing as a nobody in the kingdom. Right? I don't care what you do. You have a ministry. The same ministry. Reconciliation. What does that actually mean? That, that means you need to let people know that all their sins have been forgiven and God's not imputing trespasses anymore. You need to let them know that they have, uh, uh, have been fully accepted into the family, that there's no more laws to keep, even their church laws, that they're loved beyond measure. That's the gospel, right? That's the message of reconciliation. That's the message to the ministry. I told you last week that we should never give an inch because this is the gospel. Radical grace is the gospel. No grace, no gospel. No good news. Grace makes the gospel pure good news because it extracts all of the bad news out. There's no bad news in the good news. So we, we just proclaim it. That's why we should never give up an inch. Third of all, I said so that it might remain with the here. And I 
so that it might remain with the hearer. Let me be very clear on that. We have to keep going over it, keep teaching it, come back to foundation fundamentals so that as new waves come in, we can pick them up and keep moving them along. Let this message get root. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. So the more that we hear this message, the more we're able to break it out and share it with other people, which is really what we want to do. Not so much with our words, but with our actions, our style of life, though our demeanor, our attitude. That's how we minister this message. And number four, I told you we stick with this message because it changes people like nothing I've ever seen before. That's what's so doggone attractive about it. It has a powerful changing effect. Grace has the spirit of power that frees you from relying on laws to govern your relationship with the Father. You're not guided by law anymore. What guides you is this loving relationship that you've fallen into and you have... And you have embraced it, and it has gotten better as you go along. I don't fear consequences of messing up anymore like I used to. So as you, as you walk out that loving relationship, some of what daddy is rubs off on you, and you become more loving, and you become more kind, and goodness flows out of you. All the fruit of the Spirit, all the nine fruits of the Spirit start to develop and grow in your life because now you as a, as a brand, are hooked to the vine and what comes from the vine is going to the branch and you're bearing the same fruit as the father when people see you they'll see your daddy oh yeah absolutely every time you love the unlovely every time you accept the rejected what you're, what you're really doing is just demonstrating that flow from the father to other people that comes through you so let me just persist on a little bit let me give you four more reasons this morning in the time that I got left why we must never back up, never give an inch to this gospel. Last week I read to you from Galatians chapter 1 where these guys came in and confronted Paul. And Paul got irate. Paul got hot. Because they were trying to take the liberty away from people. They were trying to get people to move back off of this message of Paul back into the Jesus plus something message. And Paul wouldn't put up with it. Paul didn't give an inch. And we can't give an inch either. So why shouldn't we give an inch? Number five. Here we go. Number five, six, seven, and eight today. Number five is because it takes people time to understand it. It takes people time to understand this message of grace. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. And I read these verses. Because I want you to see that Paul encountered the same things we encounter. He encountered religion. He encountered people that were uh, adamantly opposed. He encountered people that were blind. He encountered people that saw some of it and didn't want any more of it. And here's what Paul said. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, 25. All right, number five, remember, it takes time people to get it. It takes people time to understand it, grasp it, fully integrate it into their life. I mean, we're, talk, we're talking some radical change here, guys. We're talking about a belief system that is totally foreign to what they came out of in the Baptist or Pentecostal church. So Paul says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. He said, The servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, and be patient. This is our attitude, right? We, we shouldn't quarrel. Boy, those, those of us on Facebook, we've learned that, haven't we? 
You never debate or argue anybody back in, in, into your position here. I've never gotten one turned around. I don't think Jesus ever argued one Pharisee out of their legalism. So Paul said that the servant of the Lord, those of us that got this ministry of reconciliation, to quarrel, but to be gentle to all, able to teach. And what I'm doing is I'm loading you up with things that enable you to teach. Doesn't mean you're going to stand in front of a crowd. Most likely it'll be a one-to-one -one or someone will have a question for you and you're able to explain. That's teaching. And he said we need to be patient. In humility, verse 25 says, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them a repentance, a change of mind, a metanoia, so that they also may know the truth. What's, what's Paul saying to young Timothy? He's saying you need to keep a low profile, stay humble, know what you're talking about, be gentle, and when questions come that might appear like opposition, he said be able to explain your position because some will have a change of mind. Paul said repentance, metanoia, same thing. Some will have a change of mind and they will actually come to the truth. What we want to do is position ourselves with people so that those that the Spirit of God has prepared and has opened their eyes just a little bit to, that you'll be able to help open them up the rest of the way. And man, when you're that person that helps them see it all, that's a high like nothing else you can experience. The testimonies, the messages I get during the week of people that are getting this, I'll tell you what, it makes all the opposition, all of the loss of friendships, Every, every cost that I've had to add up, it makes it all worthwhile when you see somebody really get it. So you have to understand, it takes a person a while. It, it's not been taught. It just has not been taught. So when it comes, when you, have, when you recommend this teaching to somebody and they listen to it, you know, more than likely, they're going to look at it and listen to this through the filter of the religion that they've heard for 5, 10, 20, 30 years. And they're not going to catch it at first. Let me give you another scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 4. 2 Corinthians verse 14. I'm sorry. Here's why they don't catch it. Their minds are blinded. Because there's been a veil that remains unlifted in the reading of the law or the mixed message. But that veil is removed when they hear Christ. So what, what do we need to do? We need to be gentle. We need to be persistent. We don't give an inch. We need to demonstrate it because there's going to be a lot of people that come up alongside along the way that get it. And as they do, their life begins to change and it, and it starts to feel lighter. They like the feeling and they're going to come back and they're going to want more and more and more. But as long as they sit under this veil of law, this veil of mixture message, they're going to remain blind. So li listen, what I'm saying to you, it takes time. It takes effort. But when they begin to turn to the one that is filled with grace and truth, I'll tell you what, the cat jumps out of the bag, man. The cat jumps out of the bag. And there's no more putting that religious cat back in the bag. So what I've noticed in, in my life is that with my friends and my family, the ones that have got it, and all my family really has caught this thing big time. They came in stages. I think some of my family, and I know a lot of my friends at first thought I was crazy. 
and, and a lot of my friends, you know, really probably aren't acquaintances even anymore. They know I'm crazy. But the ones that got it, I've seen them come in stages. It comes in stages. Gandhi was credited with saying this. I don't know if Gandhi really said it, but he said, at first they ignore you. <laughs> I've gone through that. Then they laugh at you. Then they fight you. Then you win, right? So that's, that's the stage you're going to come through. Everybody comes through those stages. The Holy Spirit just opens up their eyes little bit by little bit by little bit. And you probably got some friends that are in that stage of ignoring you. They just say, he'll get over it. He'll outgrow it. He'll move beyond. Or now they're laughing at you like, hey, you, what's wrong with you, man? Are you crazy? That's not the gospel. That's, that's not how you get saved. Then they fight you. Bless God, do you see what it says over here? Do you understand what you're doing? You're leading people to hell. See, they fight you. Then eventually, all of a sudden, the light comes on. And they see it, and you win, right? Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, he said, Don't grow weary in well-doing, brother. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Because in due season, you're going to get the harvest if you don't faint. All right, reason number six. Why do we never give an inch? Number six, because Satan opposes this message of grace. And I use that, that name Satan very lightly. I'm, I'm, I'm about fixing to do a series on him. I'm going to do to him what I did to hell. His day's coming. I hope you've been with me long enough to know that Satan is not this little guy in a red suit with a pitchfork, big ears, and a tail that runs around harassing you. Nobody's ever seen that guy because he came straight out of classical mythology. I, I hope you know that Satan isn't this literal serpent that Eve talked to in the, in the, in the garden. I mean, come on now. Who's going to get down close enough to a big python to talk to it? Do you, do you ever get down and talk to a rattlesnake? Nobody's going to get down and talk to a literal snake. Jesus called Peter Satan. He said, Satan, get behind me. Do you, do you think Peter was literally Satan? I don't think so. But there's a great, there's a real tip on what Satan is in that statement of Jesus to Peter. And I'm not going to go any further with it, but let me just say this. Satan is a spiritual force that opposes God. So for the sake of what I'm teaching this morning, I want you to think, Romans 8, 7 is a revelation on Satan. Can, can we do that? And I, I'm going to unwind this baby for you pretty quick. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. That means it's an enemy of God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. Now let me just read that again to you, brother, because... This sounds like the devil to me. The carnal mind is an enemy of God. It's not subject to the law of God. What is the law of God? It's love. It's gentleness, goodness. It's all the fruit of the Spirit. It's the life that Jesus lived. It's not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. This carnal mind is hostile. It's full of hatred and animosity. This carnal mind, this mind of the flesh, flesh-driven, wants its own will. It's self-centered. It's ego-driven. It exalts itself. 
I think that's a lot clearer definition of what Satan is than a serpent or a man in a red suit. Right? Let, let me just read for you a little bit more about this. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, let me read verses 5 through 8. Watch. For those who live in the flesh, the carne, the carnal, set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, to things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death. Does that sound like maybe something opposed to life? But to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is an enemy of God. Not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. Verse 8, so those that are in the flesh cannot please God. So those that are in the flesh cannot please God. The carnal mind is this thing that opposes grace. The carnal mind is the thing that opposes love because it's selfish. Let me tell you why the carnal mind opposes love and grace so much. Because the carnal mind wants you to submit to it. The carnal mind does not want to submit to the spirit. The mind does not want to submit. A mind that is flesh driven does not want to submit to anything. The man of grace and truth had three battles that went on in his mind in the wilderness. I want you to look at the, the battles that Jesus faced. All right? Satan, the carnal mind, came to oppose Jesus. Jesus didn't give a description of what Satan looked like. He, and all of us have drawn this picture. Artists have given renditions. It just simply says that an opposing force came to Jesus in the wilderness and said, Turned the stones to bread. You know what that temptation was? It was a temptation of the carnal mind to be self-sufficient. You want bread, brother? You can make your own bread. You don't need God. You can turn those stones into bread. You can make, you can make provision for yourself. Then he takes him up off the temple and says, jump off the temple. You know, you know what his mind was telling him? If you're really a son of God and you can force God's hand, God will take care of you. Just jump off of here. Right? Carnal mind doesn't want to submit to God. Carnal mind is self-centered. It wants its own way. Then it walks him out and says, I'll give you all these. You can, you can gain all of this by shortcutting. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do any of that. You can be self-determining. You can plot your own future. You can shortcut what God has for you. See, all of those three, listen, all of those three were a challenge to his identity. All of them came and said, if you are the son of God, challenge to identity, turn the stones into bread. You can do it yourself. You can force God's head. You can be your own man. You don't have to submit See, the carnal mind wants your service. The carnal mind wants your worship. The carnal mind wants to be your God. Your carnal mind wants to make all the choices and decisions in your life. It is opposed to God. And Paul said that the carnal mind is death. The spirit mind is life. So what does grace do? Grace neutralizes all of that carne, all of that flesh. Grace feeds you from the tree of life. 
Grace teaches you to renew that carnal mind, to reject the carnal mind, because the carnal mind will fight you. Why do we not give up an inch on this message? Because this message is kryptonite to the carnal mind. It literally destroys it. It tells it, bow your knee and submit. You are not running my life, right? <clears throat> I'm going to suggest to you, it was the carnal mind that came to Eve in the garden and said, you can become like God. You can become self-sufficient. You can make provision yourself. You can chart your own destiny. Same thing that he came to last Adam with in temptation, just in a little bit different form. Same temptation that comes to you. If you don't do it yourself, it's not going to get done. A boy in Texas, we're big on this. We are, we are self-made people in Texas. I don't know how it is in your state, but Texans, buddy, we are independent, we're strong, we can do it. That's just the carnal mind saying, I'm boss, I'm in charge, you do what I tell you to do. So we need to teach grace because it counters that carne, that flesh way of thinking and brings us back to the tree of life that we can enjoy the liberty and freedom that Jesus has given to us. All right, number seven. Why do we never back up an inch on this message? Because some Bible teachers oppose grace. <laughs> Hello? Some Bible teachers oppose grace. And I... I honestly think there's some law teachers that are very sincere. I think John MacArthur, John Piper, those guys, I mean, they're so, to me, obnoxious. But I really think they're sincere in what they're teaching. I believe they bought into the message. They might be sincere, but I believe they're also very misinformed and they're unenlightened. And that's what Paul is getting at. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 Paul knew that Timothy would run into those that would teach an opposition to this message. And so Paul, as part of his instruction to young Timothy was what to do about this. He said, desiring to be teachers of the law. And that's, I think John MacArthur, John Piper, since I mentioned their names, I really think they have a desire to perfect themselves and teaching law or how to, to be pleasing to God. Of pointing out people's shortcomings and doing it with condemnation and guilt and frustration. That whole nine yards. Desiring to be teachers of the law. But he says this, they're not enlightened, they don't understand. He said, understanding neither what they're saying nor the things which they affirm. In other words, they don't know what they're doing. I think they might be very sincere, but they're lost in this. So you and I can never give an inch because we need to counteract that. I think it was last week that I said, you can educate yourself into being a teacher of the law, a teacher of religion. But you cannot educate yourself into being a teacher of grace. It comes by revelation. It comes by enlightenment. Grace comes as a revelation down here in your knower. And I remember as it started to, to, to resonate, and vibrate inside of me. And then it began to move up into my head. My head was fighting it, but it began to overtake my head. And I just kind of visualized it like a water that just kept rising until it just flushed everything else in my, out of my life. And I could see it, and I got it, and I understood it. It was a new reality. It was a higher consciousness. It took me to a transcendent way of living that I didn't know before. So when I deal with these people that are motivated by, you know, and they're very prideful. 
Teachers of the law in the time of Jesus were prideful. They still are very prideful. They think they find life and seek it through the scripture, through the letter. And they always oppose you. They oppose you not on the basis of revelation of what the Spirit of God has showed them. They oppose you on the basis of the lens through which they view through that has come to them through their training and their study, not the Spirit. I mean, when you first begin to get this message, it's a bitter pill to swallow to say, man, I was wrong. I mean, those words like stick in your throat. I was wrong for all those years. But as grace gains momentum, see, we've been a little bit on the defensive right now for, you know, I've been teaching this message about 15 years, and mostly we've been on the defense against religion. Religion attacks and we defend. That tide is changing. I don't know if you've noticed it on Facebook, but it's changing a lot. So that those that are ministering grace and finished work of the cross are now making bold proclamations. And it's now religion that has come on the defense. We've just kind of switched positions. They're now trying to defend their position because grace is empowering you as you deliver it. You're gaining a confidence. And as those oppose the message, you're not intimidated by it anymore. You're not harassed in your mind by it anymore because you are not giving an inch. You've come through these five, six, seven things we've talked about so far. And you have a boldness now. All right? Number seven, number eight. I'm sorry, let me give you the last one. Here's the eighth reason that we are to never Give an inch on this message. It's to pass it, and this one is so strong right now in my life. It's to make sure we pass this message to the next generation. Paul understood the, the, the necessity. Paul understood the need to keep this message going to his spiritual sons and to others and to keep going beyond. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I think it's, it's along about the first two or three verses. Paul said, Timothy, I'm teaching you. And I want you now to teach faithful men. And I want you to pick out faithful men that have an eye to teach others also. So Paul is saying, Timothy, it's going to come from me, generation one, to you, generation two, to faithful men, generation three, to others also, generation four. And I know this, that if we can move this message four generations deep, the message isn't going anywhere. The message will have longevity. It's important that you take this message and demonstrate it to faithful men. And that you help them then deliver that to others also. I, I, I'm saying to you, I'm saying to you, make sure that you make an effort to get this message passed on to other people. We've never, the church has never built for longevity. The church has never built generationally. And that has been a weakness. And it has made us inept and impotent in our culture. Because we have not built generationally. We have, we have a theology that, that has told us Jesus is coming before breakfast. And that we're out of here when the rough stuff starts. So why, why would we do anything with a long view when we are the last generation? 
I remember hearing my granddad say he was the last generation and my father think he was the last generation. And there are those now that think we're the last generation. And because of that, we've not passed things along. And every generation has started at ground level zero spiritually. We have not passed to the next generation the gospel. And as a result, you and I today, we didn't have the gospel. We're digging it out fresh. If, if they would have kept passing it from Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others also, if that would have kept going on, look, we wouldn't have had the problems we have with religion today. Religion would have totally been snuffed out by now. The religious attitude would have died. It would have dissipated. Every generation has had to start. Legacy should be a big word for us. Legacy needs to be a big word in your life. Not only do you want to leave your children money and lands and houses and cars, you want to leave them a spiritual legacy of joy and freedom in Christ and the gospel that Paul taught. Paul refused to stop until he completed what he started. I love his testimony at the end, end of the book of Acts. Over in Acts chapter 20, Paul, Paul says, guys, I, I'm not giving an inch. I'm not backing up on this. Look what he says at the end of, end, of the, end of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Paul says this. He said, none of these things move me. I don't give an inch. I'm not moved by all of the things that have come to me in life. I'm not moved by the adversity. I'm not moved by the Jews. I'm not moved by the Judaizers. I'm not moved by the stripes. I'm not moved by the beatings. I'm not moved by the days and the nights and the deep. None of these things move me. He said, nor do I count my life dear to myself. That's a guy that has given up everything. I'm getting some messages on the bonds that hold us back from deeper revelation. And most of the bonds have to do with people that we've allowed entrance into our life that have sucked life out of us, that are connected to us, that are pulling on us. Paul said, I've let it all go. I don't even count my own life dear to me. Why? So that I may finish the race. Watch. That I may finish the race with joy. The ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have a ministry from him? Do you have a ministry from the Lord Jesus Christ? You absolutely do. What is it? I told you it's the ministry of reconciliation. That was Paul's message. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, which is the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, I'm not quitting. Nothing has moved me. Nothing has stopped me. Nothing has dissuaded me. I refuse to quit until this message is established. Let me say this in conclusion today. I haven't told you this in a long time. I'm really happy to be making this journey with you. We're carrying this gospel around the world that Paul taught to the next generation. Guys, we're quitting. We're not backing up an inch. Our work is cut out for us. Thank you for partnering with me. It's, 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 a, it's a message whose time has come. Is it without difficulty? No, there's difficulties. Is there opposition? Absolutely, there's oppo opposition. Religion has 
See, religion has pushback from the world because the world can't stomach religion. They don't want anything to do with it. You don't find that with grace. We don't get pushback from the world. I don't get pushback from drug, drug addicts, from alcoholics. I don't get pushback from people that feel like they're worthless or unrighteous. I don't get pushback from those. We get our pushback from religion, from evangelicals in particular, that are mixed in hip deep in chains with a mixed message and they're unwilling to release control. And religion is what will fight you tooth and nail with this message. It's not going to be Joe Blow out there on the street. They embrace you. They will love to hear about that Jesus. So we might feel a little bit like Abraham. We might have left our country, all our friends, our familiar surroundings. <laughs> We're headed out to a country we might not know the full destination of, but we'll know when we get there. The temptation is to take the familiar with us, and we're not taking the familiar with us. We're saying with Paul, we don't count anything as joy. We've given up it all. And we're pushing in, Paul said, until I complete the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the gospel of grace. I can't tell you exactly where we're going, Digital Cathedral, but I'll tell you this, God's leading us out. He's leading us into new pastures and new dimensions. And starting next week, I'm going to get back on some deeper things. I've been real foundational, fundamental for several weeks now, just because I wanted to stop the bus, make sure we're all running the same direction. We're going to start getting back out into some deep things next week. He's given us a message. So let's run the race until we win it. And let's make sure we don't back up an inch. Let's make sure we proclaim boldly with confidence and joy that which has been deposited in us by revelation alone. Amen. God bless you. See you Wednesday night. Have a wonderful week.